Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. For request this week, I am going to talk a little bit about how I got into this field. So welcome to episode 30. I actually can't believe I've been doing this for 30 weeks plus and um, kind of a fitting day, I think, to talk about this topic because my goal was to start my own practice before the age of 30 and I did manage to do that, so I'm pretty proud of that fact. But every once in a while I have someone reach out to me via email or send me a comment about something they'd like to hear on the podcast and um, I've had heard several times and actually had someone specifically mention that they wanted to know how they could get into this field and I don't believe that they meant architecture but um, I guess I could talk a little bit about that. Architecture is great. Um, I did a five-year program at Penn State There are also four and two programs all over the country where you do four years of school interspersed with two years of internship, which actually gets you ahead of the game a little bit faster. When you do a five-year program, you end up having a um, about three years worth of internship to finish after you're done. So I moved to Washington, D.C. because I thought I wanted to live in a city. My husband and I lived there for two years, looked at each other and said, what are we doing here? And so we flipped a coin. He won. We moved to Maine. And then I worked for another couple of years for an architect in Portland. And I knew when I was in college that I was really interested in sustainability. Um, My grandfather has had a solar panel on his roof for as long as I can remember to heat hot water. And it was always just something that I felt really passionate about. Um, My entire thesis was actually a lot about how um, you could take these products that we have that we've created and recycle them into something else, into artwork or something. We could upcycle things that would traditionally have gone into garbage based on consumerism. So I guess you could say, um, especially if you've been following along with The Pretty Good House, that I've always been really concerned about how much stuff we produce and make and consume and then what we're going to do with it. My husband and I are also scuba divers, so we really enjoy that, and the thought of all the plastics that's in the ocean is pretty mind-boggling to me. You've heard me talk about climate change on here, so yeah, there's all kinds of things that I could get into, but we're not going to dive too deep into that. But anyway, we moved to Maine, and so when we moved to Maine, um, I said, I want to work for an architect that's doing more for environmental work, more with energy efficiency. I had taken the LEED exam way back in 2006 when only LEED and C existed, and I was working in Washington, D.C., and we were building pretty large houses, and the market was pretty good, so people were not as concerned about the efficiency. And then we moved to Maine, and the architect that I started working for was really interested in LEED. Um, They did one of the first LEED gut rehabs in the state of Maine, so that was fascinating to see how an existing building can really be flipped and changed and turned into um, something so much more than it was before, especially with the old brick buildings with no insulation and taking an inner city building and making that a little bit more efficient. But after 
2009, the market became pretty, uh, pretty weak and people weren't really building and it was sort of a joke that architects were considered gainfully unemployed. Obviously we weren't, we didn't die off as a profession, but people built a lot less from 2009 to 2013, 2014. Um, so I thought, wow, this is a brilliant time for me to start my own practice, um, back in 2009. And at the same time I said, but what does Maine specifically need and what can I do here in the state of Maine to really promote energy efficiency? And it turned out that at the time, uh, there was a lot of money coming into the state are a funding for energy efficiency and weatherization. So I did a lot of consulting with that for profit. People got uh, money back for putting money into their homes and the cost of fuel oil was really high. So people were um, definitely getting a great payback on the amount of improvements they could make on their houses. And since there was a financial incentive, there were a lot of people who were really interested in it. So it was something that I was really passionate about. It was something that I felt that people should be doing. Um, obviously until it becomes more mainstream, um, I say that thinking, um, you know, we really pushed the car industry to make more efficient cars. Now you're seeing a lot where, um, electric cars are becoming more popular and more people are making those. And so, um, when people start asking for things, then that's when a lot of policy changes seem to happen and make it worthwhile. So currently not a lot of money coming, um, for incentives to do it, but it's really great when you have somebody who's interested in it, in spite of the fact that there may not be a financial offset in the upfront for doing something. However, there's a huge benefit to how much you can save by living in the house. And so I was really interested in how do you evaluate something like that. Are there programs out there? Um, I did some more energy consulting with a large-scale energy uh, efficiency company out of South Carolina and um, on big multifamily buildings. They also did uh, huge mechanical engineering spreadsheets that factored in a lot of data. If you've used any energy software, whether it's Wolfie Passive or PHPP for Passive House or Ecotrope or REMRATE or uh, BEOP, they all do a lot of that stuff in the background that maybe you don't see or think of. Um, PHPP for sure looks like an Excel spreadsheet, so you can kind of see the numbers and the data and the information that's going into it. But when you're working with a program where you can kind of input general things like uh, the square footage of a wall, which orientation that it faces and, um, you know, it's made by a two by framing with X type of insulation. And then it manages to take into account the heating degree days based on the place that you're located in. It's really fascinating how you can take a look at a building, how it's going to perform the orientation and really come up with some viable numbers that you can use. Um, just like any program, they all have their pros and cons, but Someone specifically asked how I got into this industry, and I think um, some of the best advice I could give to anybody who's really interested in it is, one, we should all be doing this. <laughs> when they call us as architects or as contractors, they're 
and by they, I mean clients, are expecting us to give our best level of service that we know how. And somebody, I think it was Mike Maines, mentioned in a panel discussion that a code-built house is the worst house you can legally build right now. So I don't think that anyone is really coming to us and saying, I want the worst thing I can legally build. Just give me the bare minimum. So sometimes you have to, and this is a marketing strategy, uh, maybe more so than anything else, is just say, this is what we do. So way back in 2009, even from the very beginning, I just said, look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build things that are at least a little bit better um, with being a hers raider, we could do Energy Star, and Energy Star at the time was asking for 20% better than code. So that's not too bad. Not too hard. Not too hard to achieve. Um, and we've moved pretty far up the scale from Energy Star doing zero energy houses and really now with um, doing the pretty good house also considered embodied carbon within our buildings. So just a lot of things that we're considering in our buildings. But we said, look, we don't build code-built houses. So if you want a code-built house, you have to go to somebody else. And that's my professional standing, and that was where I put it. And yes, I know that that means that we might turn away people who deserve a great house, but who aren't interested in it. And you have to be sort of willing to, I don't want to say piss off the other people, but you have to be willing to take a stand and say, this is what we do, and sort of stick to that. And this is what we do well, and this is what we're trying to do. So... Um, when you're trying to get into something like this, it can be, I guess, a little bit difficult. Um, I would say now we've really migrated to the point where we can, um, specify exactly what we do. When you're first starting out as your own practice doing residential construction, you might have to do some things that are standard construction. But I also think that we shouldn't expect a homeowner to understand all of the technical information that goes into building a house and especially building a high performance house. So there are some things that you can just put into your standards of construction that are going to be huge in the way that you move forward. Uh, maybe you always design the house with triple pane tilt and turn windows and you can value engineer back to a double pane window if you have to. Um, we, for the most part, uh, put cellulose insulation in our wall systems, no matter what the contractor decides to build, that's going to be in our drawing set that that's what we're specifying cellulose with air barriers in certain locations. And depending on what type of structure we're building, if we're building a high performance home, it's going to be well beyond that. And then we move past the conversation of just what type of insulation is in this structure. But again, I'm getting off topic because the question really was, how did I get into doing this? How do I offer it to a market that wasn't specifically asking for it? And one of the things that I usually say is education. It was something that I was really interested in. So I made sure that I did a bunch of certifications. First, starting out, you might have to work for somebody else. I worked for somebody else and I got training as an energy auditor for the state of Maine and then as a HERS raider. And then I took that training and I moved on um, on my own when I was in Washington, D.C. I took the lead exam um, on my own when I was in New York. I took the passive house exams and courses in 
training. And there are so many great, great programs that count for both your architecture education if you need to do continuing education for your state, um, but also for any energy certifications that you have. The Nessie Conference, there are so many um, great conferences put on by ResNet and uh, other organizations that do energy efficiencies that also correspond with architecture continuing education units and they're really great places to meet other individuals so aside from educating yourself which I think is really key um, learning what organizations are in your area to help you get a project that is um new to you, but is something that you'd like to do. There is a whole network of HERS Raiders out there who can help with projects in specific areas. Um, so definitely go out and meet some other people in your area. I'm sure there are energy auditors in a lot of areas. If you're in a more rural area, there are also lots of communities. Um, I know both the architecture community that Mark LePage started um, entrepreneur architect where we as architects share with each other because it's silly to reinvent the wheel and we can have a great um, conversation on that forum where we can talk through ideas and problems and everybody gets smarter and wins. Uh, everybody learns something. Um, to spinoffs of that, uh, the high performance design build group, where we talk about our own projects, where we're doing high performance projects. And it's a great way to also meet other members who are interested in this particular field of architecture and building is to do that. But the conferences and the other groups is networking. It's very, very important to do networking and specific networking, not just networking with with anyone, which is which is great. Um, that can sometimes lead to projects, which helps to uh, pay the bills for sure. Um, but networking with other individuals with similar interests to you can be um, a great way to jump into a field where it's maybe new to you, but something that you're passionate about. They can help you to find trainings and the right trainings for what you might want to do. Um, if you're doing homes, maybe LEED isn't the the first one that you start with. Um, if your area isn't really have a big passive house community, maybe you start with uh, ResNet and HERS and Energy Star. And there are so many ways to improve the level of interest and understanding in high-performance building, whether it's residential or commercial, and they're really two different animals, and how you approach them is uh, can be very, very different. Um, in a small house, insulation and performance can be huge. In a larger commercial building, you may actually have a significant amount of reduction in mechanical systems and plumbing systems, depending on the areas that you're in. So you have to somewhat specify which tract you want to go down as far as architecture is concerned or building is concerned if we're if we're talking builders and then you have to get educated and you have to go out and network with other people and then you have to have a mentor and I was more than lucky when um, in 2009 
I started doing energy consulting, I had one of the best mentors. If you've ever been in the energy world, and especially if you've done any work with any of the community actions in Maine, you have probably run into Cheryl Shattenberg, and she's fantastic. So I would um, really like to say that she was instrumental in how I thought about buildings and what you could do with them and teaching and learning and starting to think about house is a system. And I think that was really the biggest turning point for me to understand jumping into this industry in the building world is every time you change one thing, it has an effect on something else. And so it's our job to understand what that one change might affect in something else. Um, Whether it's air infiltration, whether it's a reduction in the efficiency of your insulation, whether it's air tightness and you're backdrafting a heating system and putting carbon monoxide into the house. There are so many parts and pieces that are different and changing one thing can have a huge impact on all of the other parts. And so big shout out to Cheryl for really pushing me uh, and pushing the envelope on building science. So again, a mentor, I think is huge. And if you have that one person that you can learn from, and then go on and expand your horizons with all the other things that interest you in the field, I think that's great. If you're asking from a more practical marketing perspective, as I think that you start saying, this is what we do. And then when people ask you about that, you have the opportunity to do a little bit of education. And I think education is probably the biggest way we can do that. It's part of why I do the podcast. It's part of why I did a blog for a number of years. It's part of why I taught at the local community college, taught uh, both building science classes and energy auditing, and also taught a sustainable design class where, you know, for architects and designers, you can think about these things from the very beginning. And that only makes a better team. And so I think that house as a system is a great concept to understand that all the parts are interrelated and that you can then apply that to your practice, which is integrated design, which means that everybody on the team is on board with what you're doing. And that really gives you a better project because that means that the builder is involved from the beginning with the designer. And when a change needs to be made, there are several minds that have taken a look at it and hopefully caught anything that might change as a a factor in that. And it means that you've done the work in your drawing set and putting up the air barrier so the electrician can come in and they can do their part and they don't have to worry about putting holes in the air barrier. And so you sort of eliminated that as a thing that they even need to worry about. But at the same time, that electrician, when you're building a net zero home, is going to be critical to all of those electrical parts and pieces working together to give you a really all electric house that performs well with the solar and the mechanical systems that come into play with that. We're talking heat pumps a lot of times, which is another electrical piece. So we're creating these healthy and efficient homes. So from the marketing perspective, you say this is what we do. From the building perspective, you understand that all of the parts and pieces are related and they have an effect on one another. And then from the team perspective, you practice an integrated design approach where everybody is open-minded, they come to the table, they bring their ideas, and you have a very, very well-thought-out product 
for a client, whether it's commercial or residential, and um, you get a mentor to help you in the things that you don't yet know or don't yet understand. Um, I don't know if it's being an architect or just the way that I learn, but I'm definitely a hands-on visual learner. So I want to see it, touch it, feel it, and I want to go and install it if I can um, and see how all of those parts and pieces work. That is actually one of my favorite things and something that I hope that uh, Ken at Sega Tapes is going to start doing in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is um, training where you get to take apart a wall system and put it back together so you can understand how the tapes and the air barriers work and how they go on and how they get applied. Because really following someone around and seeing what they're doing is critical to jumping into an industry that you don't quite know yet. When we're young architects, we often draft the things that the more senior architects have thought of or designed or put together. And that's how you learn how certain parts and pieces work and how things go together. And the same thing really goes for building sciences. You get out there in the field, you find a mentor that you can follow around. I think I followed Cheryl around for three months before I was allowed to do anything on my own. And that was just going on every job with her and touching and feeling and uh, going through the motions of how to test a system, what to look at, where I should be looking, um, how to set up a system for myself so that I followed checks and balances. You know, you pick one direction, you measure clockwise in the same direction all the way around so that you make sure that you get as many parts and pieces as you possibly can, especially from the design perspective and, and when doing energy auditing is, um, I was going to be on site maybe for a day or work on a project for maybe a couple of months and I'm going to know it fairly well and intimately, but that contractor is going to be there for weeks, um, possibly months, uh, possibly even years, depending on the scale of the project. And so you really need to take a look at how everything works and how it goes together and give the best advice that you can. But following somebody around and really learning is probably one of the key parts to getting into this industry specifically, which is it's really important for you to get the training. And that might mean, as I mentioned earlier, working for somebody else or volunteering your time on a community project with a firm that potentially has the experience that you want to learn. Um, we did this great community action project here where we were able to partner with a local high school that had a construction tech department and those students actually built part of that structure. So they happened to build a very energy efficient home and learn something during the construction process. That wasn't just sort of standards of construction, but it was also thinking about it a little bit differently. How is this more efficient? How can we create these better structures? And that's something that they're going to know coming out of high school. So again, I mentioned earlier education and whether it is the education that you get so that you can provide the services or whether it's the education that you put out in your marketing that says, this is what we do. And that then follows up with the education of the client, which is unless we're talking about this and unless we're doing it, no one's ever going to adopt it. So get out there and start talking about it. Find the people who are talking about it. If you're in a rural community, join online forums. Um, the advent of online social media these days, whether it's LinkedIn and articles and um 
professional development or whether it's Facebook and a Facebook group of people who are interested in a subject, you can find and search all kinds of hashtags now that talk about these things. And then you mention them and you talk about them and you meet other people who are doing it. And that's how you grow a business in building science these days. So I hope that that was helpful. I hope you guys enjoy listening to me just wax on poetically about why I think that energy efficiency is important, why I think that everybody deserves a healthy home that supports them emotionally, mentally, physically, is beautiful to live in, and really has an impact on our environment. Because if we don't start doing something about this in the next 10 years, we're going to have a global crisis that involves the environment, and it's going to be a very big problem. So I'm glad that there was somebody out there who was asking about it because they wanted to know because they were interested in it, how to get into this field. So thanks for joining me again and tune in next week. We're actually going to talk to Corinne with Tiny Houses of Maine. So that's kind of exciting to think about. I often talk about less square footage and having less stuff and what do we really need. Um, Tiny House takes that to a whole new level. So I'm super excited to have her on the podcast to talk about what that means and how it works in Maine and why people are going towards tiny house so thanks and we'll see you next week